Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. This is your host, Sir Dr. JM, bringing you another episode of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast. In case you didn't get it from the name, this is an Overwatch Podcast where we bring you everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. Today's show, we'll look at a little bit of news, we'll touch on the most recent games in the Overwatch League, and finally, we'll take a look at next week's games in the Overwatch League. Now, you can get this podcast on Apple Podcast Services, as well as other services eventually. That's right, I still haven't gotten around to it, but I will eventually. I'm your host, Sir Dr. Jam. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, where I'll give the latest updates about the show and scheduling. And of course, you can always reach out to me with suggestions, comments, questions, whatever you want to do, and hopefully maybe make it onto the show. Now, without further ado, I'm going to jump right into the news with our first news story actually being a bit of a story from last week, but I'm going to cover it just for argument's sake. And because of course, we'll talk about it a little bit in the portion of the show where we talk about the previous week's games in the Overwatch League. So without further ado, our first story reads like this. Overwatch League matches in China delayed 24 hours. Now this was posted by Liz Richardson at .esports.com. And this was of course posted six days ago. So this was before this previous week's matches happened. But it reads a little something like this. Some Overwatch League matches will take place later than originally planned this week. China has declared April 4th a national day of mourning for victims of COVID-19. As a result, all four Overwatch League matches taking place in China this weekend will be played a day later. So if you go and read Liz's article on .esports.com, you'll see that this meant a few of the games were pushed back a day, um, forcing some of them onto Monday morning instead of the uh, Saturday, which was April 4th. However, um, you know, at this point, kind of a moot point because those matches have already happened. So I won't go into too much more detail about it and I won't go, I won't spend much more time on it. However, if you're really interested in what happened, go ahead and take a look at Liz's article. The next story I want to talk about is also from .esports.com, this time posted by Aaron Alford. And it reads like this. TVQ retires from professional overwatch now hopefully i pronounce that right because i really have no idea how to pronounce that tviq maybe it's tviq that that would also work but the article reads like this swedish flex dps player kevin tviq lindstrom has retired from professional overwatch the former florida mayhem player announced today tviq's retirement comes as no surprise to his fans since it hasn't he hasn't been on an active overwatch roster since october 2019 Quote, I'd like to thank everyone who I've been working with and teamed up with, end quote. TVIQ said in a response to his original announcement, quote, I've learned so much and I will continually do so in order to become the best again. The hunger never stops, end quote. TVIQ played for the Florida Mayhem in the first two seasons of the Overwatch League. He parted ways with the team in June of 2019 after the organization made the decision to field an all-Korean roster after failing to find success in the early stages of Season 2. TVIQ later joined the North American Overwatch Contenders Team Revival and has several years of experience representing his home country of Sweden at the Overwatch World Cup. TVIQ is well regarded in the competitive shooter community, with a history playing both Overwatch and Team Fortress 2 at a professional level. The next step for TVIQ is unclear, though his announcement does state his intentions to continue playing FPS titles professionally. Regardless of what game he chooses to pursue next, TVIQ leaves behind a great legacy in Overwatch. Now, that's all the article says. Um, and to be honest, I uh, I don't know too much about him. I'm not too familiar with him, being that I only really started following the league last uh, season. However, I wanted to bring this one up because I know last week we covered, uh, I believe it was Hype, retiring from the Paris Eternal. Um, so I, I think these... Uh, these articles are, are good ones to bring up because, you know, obviously everyone wishes wishes him the best, and I'm sure it's sad to see him go, especially with his, uh, uh, sounds like a bit of a legacy over in the early stages of the Overwatch League. But that's all there is for that. So good luck. So long. See you later. Next article I want to touch on. This article, actually, I want to preface a bit. Um, I did read reports about this last week however i didn't cover it on the show because at the time um everything that was being reported noted 
there were allegations, but uh, there there was no actual action taken. Um, let me get into the article and I'll I'll discuss that a little bit more. So five days ago, posted on .esports.com, posted by Kale Michael. Mufin kicked from Boston Uprising following allegations of sexual misconduct. And I'm only going to read a snippet of this because if you're if you're interested, you should go follow up with uh, or follow up on the article and read the whole thing because uh, Kale does include a lot more information than I'm going to read. Boston Uprising has removed off-tank Walid Mufan Basal from the Overwatch League team a week after allegations of sexual misconduct surrounding the player surfaced. The allegations came to light last week after Twitch streamer Khaleesi Bibi posted a series of tweets sharing her interactions with the Overwatch Pro, prompting several other women to come forward with similar experiences. The Uprising then quickly removed him from its active roster on March 28th ahead of their match against the Toronto Defiant and launched an investigation into the claims made against the tank player. So that's all I'm going to read from the article, but like I say, go give Kale the read because he does go into it a bit more um, as well as uh, talk a little bit more about um, Boston's seemingly uh, repeating r- repeated history with this kind of thing, as well as a little bit more about uh, what this Khaleesi BB streamer actually said about him. Now, the reason I am bringing this one up in particular, because I do think it is important to talk about as it's a decent change to Boston's roster, especially with how this season was going, However, I also wanted to bring it up because, as I mentioned, I didn't actually cover it last week. And I didn't cover it last week because, as far as I know, the team may have suspended him, but I don't know if they had made an official statement or if anything else had officially been done yet. Whereas now, he's been kicked from the team, so I take that as some pretty official news. Um, obviously, unfortunate to see this kind of thing, and you hope that, uh, you know, you hope you, it never happens, but... If it does, I mean, it's good that the league and the team take it seriously. And obviously, they uh, I, w- I would suggest that it's best that they take it seriously. Because if they didn't, then this kind of thing snowballs. And that's kind of what the Overwatch League doesn't want to see. You know, I've done a fair amount of research into the league itself. Um, you know, conception before it actually started and everything. And a lot of the, the things that you learn about is some of the big-time owners of the league stayed away from esports because it lacked a professional nature prior to um, the state it's in now. And one of the big things that got a lot of investors and um, some of those higher-ups involved and investing a lot of money in the company, or in the league itself, was the fact that they were presenting themselves as an official league. It wasn't just esports games. It wasn't just, you know, hey, we got some teams together, some groups of people that are playing. It was a very structured league, and they were presenting with rules and um, codes of conduct and things like that. Now, and that actually relates to a story I didn't include, which had some players being uh, uh, fined or penalized for some comments that they used in the in-game chat during the, this last week's Overwatch League uh, matches, because now that they're being played online, they have access to the chat, and it was on screen, and everyone saw some of the stuff that was being said. Now, it wasn't anything too bad. It was mostly just jokes. Um, however, again, that level of professionalism is required, especially when you're being presented on a international, worldwide stage, right? So, regardless, with respect to Mufin, um, you know, surprising to see this. Sucks for Boston to see this, especially because I know in those first couple of weeks, I think I actually talked specifically about Mufin because they interviewed him on on stage back when games were still being played in person. And he was really excited to be there. He seemed really, you know, happy, really, really uh, nervous to be up there. But I know they talked about how he was one of the younger players. He was new to the team. He was new to the league and everything. So really too bad to see him kind of squander this opportunity like that. Um, But hopefully he learns something from it. Now then, let's move on to the next story. A little bit happier of a story here and definitely more exciting. So this story was actually, I believe, just announced today. Yep, nine hours ago. And I'm pulling this from Liz Richardson's article on .esports.com. And it reads like this. Echo will be live in Overwatch on April 14th. Overwatch is about to hit new heights. The game's newest hero, Echo, will be released on the live servers on April 14th. Echo is a high-flying damage dealer with speedy moves and a particularly interesting ultimate ability. She's been available for testing on the game's public test realm, PTR, for the past few weeks. 
Now, go ahead and read Liz's article because there's a bunch more information specifically about Echo and her abilities, her moveset, her kit, all that stuff um, in the article that I'm just not going to read because I've already covered that kind of stuff. But looking ahead, the 14th, of course, is this coming Tuesday, so that would be patch day, so makes sense that we are seeing her then. Um, one important thing that Liz does point out in the article towards the end is that just because she's coming to the game doesn't mean she'll be available in competitive right away, so we'll probably be waiting another couple weeks before she's available in competitive, and that also means a couple more weeks, probably, before she's available in um, the Overwatch League, um, a couple weeks beyond that even. Um, this is one thing that I've actually kind of gone back and forth on. Um, I don't know how I feel about the fact that you know Overwatch, as, as an online multiplayer game, is constantly evolving, constantly changing. And because of that, it really makes the Overwatch... It, it has a unique effect, I'll say, on the Overwatch League. You don't see that kind of thing in other sports, right? The NHL, for instance, doesn't, generally speaking, introduce radically game-altering rules or regulations halfway through a season. If they change rules and regulations, it's either in response to something that forced them to be changed, or it happens during the off-season, right? So that's one thing that I think, you know, I maybe I struggled with originally, but now I kind of think it's it's sort of a unique thing to esports and unique aspect to esports, especially Overwatch, is that obviously they can tweak the game, they can tweak the heroes, they can make balancing changes, they can, um, if they want to, they can change moves entirely, um, but they can also straight up just introduce new heroes, new maps, new aspects altogether. So it's definitely one of the things that I find is uh, is really exciting and really unique about the league and about esports in general. So uh, I wanted to highlight that because obviously new hero is very exciting. And as I think I covered last week as well, she um, she is the final hero for Overwatch 1. And I call it Overwatch 1 because Overwatch 2 will be where more heroes are released. So, you know, April 14th, if I look at a calendar, that is obviously next Tuesday, as I mentioned. But that also, to me, says something about when we might get Overwatch 2. So looking at April, let's see, we got May, June, July, August, September. September is five months after that. October, November... I'm just trying to think. I could see Overwatch 2 releasing... I, you know what, I don't think we're going to see Overwatch 2 by the end of this year, which is really too bad, because that means we're going to go, I would say, probably 9 to 10, maybe maybe even 11 months before we see Overwatch 2. I would think if the final hero for Overwatch 1 is coming out April 14th, I would think, just thinking about development schedules and everything and how Blizzard is with their games, I don't think they'll be ready for a release, you know, this fall. Um, the next target obviously then becomes the holiday window, which traditionally is, you know, kind of very end of October, um, November, December, January-ish. And I don't think, you know, I don't think Overwatch 2 would be announced to be coming out ahead of BlizzCon. And I know BlizzCon is traditionally in November. Now, if there's a BlizzCon this year or not, that's a whole nother question. But if they were going to announce it coming out in November, or if they were going to announce it at BlizzCon, that would take place in November. And I don't think they would announce it that month and have it come out that same month, because then they miss out on the press cycle. They miss out on, you know, all of the, the, the whatever you want to call it, publicity around the game coming out. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say we'll probably see Overwatch 2 next spring. I'm thinking that March, I don't want to say April because that seems so far away, you know, that's a whole year away, but I feel like March would be a good bet, and I think the original game actually came out in May, so I would say spring of next year is probably when we're going to see Overwatch 2, and I'm basing that all on Echo's release date coming mid-April. Now, take that all with a grain of salt, because that's just purely me spe speculating. But if I had to guess, I'm going to say March next year. I'm going to lock in that answer, and we're going to move right on. So the next 
story I have. And this is the most recent story. This was posted today. Well, Echo might have been more recent, but I wanted to cover this one last. So this one is actually posted on overwatchleague.com by Blizzard Entertainment, and it reads like this. Overwatch League Contenders Competitive Play to Share Weekly Hero Pool. And I am going to read this whole thing just because it's on Blizzard's Overwatch League website, so I'll read the whole thing. The Hero Pool system is a weekly rotation of playable heroes intended to improve quality of play and showcase more hero diversity and strategies and matches. The Overwatch League has been utilizing a unique hero pool since week 5 of the 2020 season, distinct from the heroes out of rotation in Overwatch competitive play. Starting next week, the Overwatch League, Contenders slash Open Division, and all Overwatch competitive play matches will share the same hero pool. Each week, four heroes will be removed from play. Two damage, one tank, and one support. We are moving to a universal hero pool because it enables Overwatch League players to practice with available heroes in scrims and competitive play and allows the entire Overwatch community to get a consistent experience both playing and watching. The first unified hero pool will be announced on Sunday, April 12th during Watchpoint, immediately following the final match of the day between the San Francisco Shock and Los Angeles Gladiators. 5pm PT start. Subsequent hero pools will be revealed at the conclusion of Overwatch League matches each week in Watchpoint. The new hero pool will go into effect for competitive play on Monday, April 13th, and will then be featured in the next set of Overwatch League matches that week. Hero pools will be determined by a new algorithm-driven system that compiles hero play rates from high-level competitive play matches from the preceding two weeks. Heroes with play rates above a certain threshold will be eligible to be removed. The higher their play rate, the more likely they are to be removed, but each hero pool will still have an element of randomness to them. No hero will be removed from rotation two weeks in a row. The hero pool for Week 10 Overwatch League matches remains unchanged, with Sombra, Reaper, Diva, and Ana out of rotation. For additional details on hero pools and competitive play, go here. So... That is all very interesting because one of the things we covered in the past couple weeks is the difference between the Overwatch League hero pool and the regular competitive play hero pool. So I do think it makes a lot more sense to have them unified. I really don't know why they had it separate, you know, in the past. Um, although, honestly speaking, the the uh, bands will, or bands, whatever you want to call them, the selections, will be different um, now that it's taking into account everyone um they say high level competitive play so it's hard to say what exactly that means because you know speaking from experience playing in the bronze silver gold levels you see a lot more of certain characters played than you do in the highest high level play um so i think it means we'll be seeing a bit of a change i i definitely am curious to see what heroes they're picking as those top played because i'm gonna guess that they might only be pulling from maybe diamond platinum and up or even grandmaster and up only which does bring the selection down quite a bit but the question is how much does that really affect competitive play outside of the overwatch league it's hard to say really but i think this is probably probably honestly sort of just an ease thing for them it'll be much easier for them to manage much easier for them to decide um, and uh, implement in the game right so it'll be interesting to see but this article also highlights that the hero pool for week 10 is sombra and reaper on the dps side diva on the tank side and anna on the support side so i did want to talk about that just real quick here just a little bit so Sombra and Reaper being pulled is interesting. Reaper, because I don't think we've seen him pulled yet. And Reaper, obviously, is one of the characters that we do see fairly often. We see quite a bit of people playing him, oftentimes with a May Reaper combo. Or if you want a little bit of range, then McCree Reaper or Hanzo Reaper has been getting played quite a bit. Um, as well as, you know, if a team is playing with a Sombra, because she's more of a flank, and although Reaper is good at that as well, um, Sombra kind of takes that role. Reaper does the damage up front to kind of focus the attention. So it is interesting to see both of those guys removed. What does this mean for play? What are we going to see? Who are we going to see? I would suspect we'll probably see McCree back in um, quite a bit just because he's getting a ton of play these days, which I love to see. And aside from him, with no Reaper and no Sombra, I would think 
it's hard to say if we'll see May coming back in a big way, just because with McCree, you know, you don't necessarily need that May upfront slowing things down, although it's not a bad thing. Do you need two ranged guys and a Hanzo and a McCree? Probably not, but maybe depending on who your players are, you know, depending on if you have a Carpe or something like that, who's really good on the ranged um, long distance heroes. Honestly, I think uh, as we saw this past week, we could see a lot of Torb play. We could see some Torb. Torb May seems weird. Uh, Torb McCree, probably, because that does give you, you know, that extra firepower, um, a little bit more of the close range, but also Torb has some of that long range damage he can do as well. But then with McCree to complement that, that could work nicely. So, anyways, it'll be very interesting to see what this, this final week with the differing hero pools brings to play however that said i actually didn't even pull up the story to report on the competitive bands this or regular competitive bands this week just because now that everything's being unified i don't think it's that big of a big of a story really so that brings the news to a close that was actually one of my longer news segments so i'm, I'm kind of surprised because the stories uh were well there weren't too many um it was probably a slightly fewer than than a lot of weeks but that's okay so, next segment of the show that I like to talk about is the Owl Recap. So, diving right into the Owl Recap, uh, my first note here is April 4th, Chinese games postponed to Monday. So, I already covered that, so I'm just going to dive right into the next game, or technically the first game of the weekend, which was the Toronto Defiant against the Washington Justice. Now, this was an exciting match because I like Toronto, as I talk about often when they play. Um, well, I don't like Toronto, but I would like them to win because they're a Canadian team and I'm Canadian and that's why I like them. That said, Washington Justice, I just want to pull up the standings because Washington has really not been doing so great, um, but neither has Toronto. So I was very curious to see this matchup. Um, if I remember correctly, I think they were actually one above the other in the standings, and this did shift things quite a bit because Washington actually lost two games this weekend and only... Um, and Toronto won their only game. So right now, Toronto is sitting in 13th place with three wins, four losses. So just slightly negative and seven games played total. Washington is sitting in 18th place, third from the bottom with two wins, just two wins, six losses and a total of eight games played. So let me take a quick peek at this match just so I can cover it in a little more detail. Um, the first map was Lijiang Tower on control, and Toronto actually took it 2-0. Um, Toronto definitely looked like they had um, maybe not so much figured things out, but maybe figured Washington out. They really were, were quite dominant in this, um, and I enjoyed seeing them cap it 2-0. Moving on to Volskaya, um, the, the assault map, the first assault map of the match, Toronto was um, impressively bad. Honestly, the note that I wrote here is Toronto gets clowned out on attack. It was really upsetting to see this, and I really thought that Washington was going to kind of get a kick off of this and take it. Um, and, I mean, they did take the, mat, the round, but I thought this was going to be the boost they needed, they needed, and they were going to take the whole match. I'm glad to see they didn't, but Toronto did not look good on this map. Um, they really, really struggled to get through that first choke, just the, the archway, um, right, basically right outside the building outside of spawn, um, which honestly is not something you see too often at this high level of play. Usually they manage to break through there. They push into the room on the left, um, and then they're able to kind of push through following the left into the building, get the high ground, and then drop down onto the point. But wow, did Toronto really struggle at that. Now, Washington only managed to cap the first point. However, they it didn't end up mattering because they just, holy cow, I, I can't express how bad Toronto looked. It was, it was honestly, it looked like some bronze-silver level play, and that's coming from someone who is mostly in bronze-silver, occasionally gold, so... Anyways, um, I don't know if Washington just got lucky. I know Corey did sneak in behind, and I think that's kind of how they capped A. But uh, yeah, Toronto was, whew, it was, it was something else. Moving on from there, we went to Route 66 for their payload map. And this one, um, Toronto looked better. I was, I was surprised to see them come back from that embarrassing loss on Volskaya. However, that said, 
it was only one nothing. Um, you know, Toronto managed to obviously push it to the first checkpoint. However, they weren't able to get it to the second. And when that happened, I was very much um, concerned that Washington was going to be able to push it farther. And then, man, I mean, Toronto, it's almost like they flipped a switch. They, they really held Washington in spawn for quite a while, and that just ate away at the time. Eventually, Washington did get out there, did get it a little farther, and I think they got it just about to the, the gas station. Um, but, you know, still, Toronto looking, looking much better on the attack um, or the the uh, defense there than Washington did on the defense. Moving on to Eichenwald for their hybrid map. Toronto managed to push the payload all the way through and get all three points. Um, originally, it looked like they were struggling a little bit with Corey playing Torbjorn. And that was one sort of theme of this weekend is we saw a lot of Torbjorn play. It was actually kind of impressive how much Torb play we saw. Now, is that because of the hero pools? Maybe. Um, I, I, honestly, I couldn't tell you why, but it looked like teams were just like, hmm, let's, let's try some Torb play. And it worked in a lot of cases. In some cases, teams figured out how to counter it a little better, but uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit too. So anyways, on Eichenwald, I wrote down here, uh, Toronto, great job cracking through T Corey's Torb. So they did manage to get through Corey there. And uh, it made all the difference because they managed to push it all three points. And Washington only got it, got uh, the payload capped, and then they couldn't get it. I think they couldn't even get it around that first corner of the sort of, it's not even really the castle yet, but on the pathway there. So Toronto did a great job shutting them down. Um, and they had a couple initial pickoffs that really allowed them to control the map and control how things went there. And with that, Toronto took the match three to one. The next game of the day, also on Saturday, April the 4th, was the Los Angeles Gladiators against the Dallas Fuel. Obviously, this was a big deal because Dallas was finally back in action after having um, so many so many games canceled, and then obviously after having the game that was supposed to be their return, uh, sort of last minute canceled with Vancouver pulling out. Um, it was, a, it was a big deal to see them coming back, and I'm sure it was very exciting for lots of Dallas Fuel fans. However, they lost. Um, it actually wound up 3-0 for the Los Angeles Gladiators, which, in my professional opinion, was the right team to win it. So, breaking it down a little bit, um, just like Toronto versus Washington, LA took the first map, which was Oasis, with 2-0. and um, And I, I wrote here, Dallas looking good, but dropped each point right at the end. So Dallas, I remember thinking towards the beginning of that match, wow, you know, all that time off and Dallas is actually putting up a fight. But then for whatever reason, um, just towards the end of both of those control points, LA managed to punch through them and just took it at the last minute. Um, so maybe it's a question of they need to commit a little more, but um, but LA took that first round 2-0. Moving on to Hanamura, LA took it 3-2. to Um it was a bit closer, obviously, um, but I don't have too much to say about it um, because both teams looked somewhat even in their matchup. However, again, you know, LA came out on top, squashing Dallas. That's all there is to it. Map three was Rialto. Um, started with the Los Angeles Gladiators on the attack, and they managed to get it through two points. Now... I'm actually a big fan of Rialto. Um, I definitely, I enjoy the map uh, from a player standpoint, but I also enjoy watching the map. I think it's one of the more dynamic maps that they have, um, just because it's got some different elements to it with bridges um, and obviously water hazards and that kind of thing. Um, but it was a it was a good map for LA. They managed to take it 2-0, which obviously gave them the season. Dallas really, when they went on attack, they really struggled to get through the first courtyard, which was, uh, I don't want to say embarrassing for them, but it was embarrassing for them. And ultimately, it resulted in a tough loss for Dallas. It, it did look like the score should have been better. If you watch the highlights of that game, you would probably think Dallas did better than they did. But really, the only map they put up any real points on was Hanamura, and in the end, they couldn't push it three. They or they couldn't cap all points. They only managed to get two out of uh, out of three there when it went into the overtime round. So that's all there was to it. There didn't make it to Hollywood, didn't make it to Nepal, but that's okay. 
next match up was a rematch from the weekend prior with the Los Angeles Valiant taking on the San Francisco Shock for the second time in uh, over that you know Sunday to Saturday. So the Sunday prior, the Los Angeles Valiant stomped San Francisco. And by stomped, I mean they didn't really stomp them. I think they took it three to two, maybe, if I'm remembering correctly. However, um, let's just double check. Pause. Pause. They took it three to one. So the Los Angeles Valiant really, uh, not stomped San Francisco, but really looking good there. So this was quite the rematch for them. And if we look at the match details, it was um, looking decent, at least. Um, in the beginning, I mean, San Francisco took Nepal handily, which was, in fact, their weakest point the week prior. I noted that um, the week prior, San Francisco really struggled on control for some reason. And that was kind of what lost their game to the Los Angeles Valiant. Um, this week, obviously, they looked much better in that they 2 0 uh the Valiant on Nepal. In the second round, it went to Paris, which... Paris is an interesting map right now, and I actually read, although I didn't report on, um, I read that Paris and Horizon are both being pulled from the map pools because of balancing changes that are needed. Now, I wasn't so certain that was much of a concern, especially Horizon, where I know they had some problems originally when it first released, and they tweaked quite a bit, and I thought they made it much better, but it looks like it's being pulled again, but more importantly... Paris was the other map that I saw might be getting pulled. Now, that's interesting because Paris is one of the maps that I've, this season, so far, seen a lot of teams really struggle on. And it's a little bit confusing. Um, I think, you know, it's in part due to those those really long spawn points, those really long walks between points. However, I don't necessarily think it's an unbalanced map. Um, it really did seem like kind of an odd one for them to be saying there need to be balancing changes at least in my opinion um i like it because i think in a lot of ways it seems to favor the underdog teams which doesn't really make sense i don't know how a map would would favor you know a team that's struggling a little more but some of those teams did seem to be doing better than than others with uh you know the los angeles valiant um being one of those teams here los angeles took it two to one um, and I did mention that uh, on this map, Los Angeles was looking good again. They didn't look so great on Nepal. They looked better on Paris. They were pretty dominant, though San Francisco was really the more of the question mark. They definitely weren't the San Francisco we're used to seeing. Um, they looked like they struggled a lot. They obviously took the first point, but they weren't able to cap the second point, which seemed strange. But hey, maybe that comes down to the balancing of, of Paris. Moving on to Dorado, um, it was kind of a no contest. Um, LA did not look very strong on it at all, and San Francisco looked great. Um, I think that's sort of something that we see a lot is on the escort maps or the hybrid maps. San Francisco really holds down a, a good attack and a good defense. Um, and that really showed on Dorado where LA didn't get a single point and San Francisco got all three. So, too bad to see that for, for LA fans. However, San Francisco really dominated. Moving on to Eichenwald, we first saw LA have a very decent push. Um, it looked like they did a really good job. They managed to hold San Francisco off in the end. Um, and then San Francisco came back. It was 3-3. We went into overtime. Um, and San Francisco actually had one minute to attack. And they managed to push through... Um, in my opinion, mostly due to their excellent healing provided by Violet. Um, I think Violet was really holding up the team in, in that sense. And because of that, they managed to cap the, the payload. They managed to push it actually past the first checkpoint, which was huge. They only had one minute to do it, whereas I didn't write down how much time LA uh, had, but LA had more than that. LA had the upper hand, and LA wasn't able to... Um, to cap that the uh, the payload so they didn't end up taking it and with that san francisco beats la in the rematch um, pulls out a three to one win and did look significantly better um, a couple things to note about this match again they started off with that sort of 
you know, I don't want to call it beeline roster, but they started off with, with no Sinatra again, which, you know, as an MVP of the season, maybe they have different plans for him. Maybe they're letting him be kind of more of a leader behind the scenes and that kind of thing. Um, or maybe there's something else entirely going on. Who knows? But I do still think that's a bit of an odd choice. Um, in my opinion, you know, uh, when they seem to be down a couple matches and things like that, they should they should be really trying to to pull it up and subbing him out and everything. So interesting stuff, but it is what it is. And that was our first uh, first day of the weekend. As I mentioned, we didn't have any of those early Chinese games on Saturday, but we did have some on Sunday. So on Sunday, April fifth, the first match we saw at two a.m. where I am from was the Shanghai Dragons against the Hangzhou Spark. Now, this was an interesting match. I didn't catch the whole thing, but I actually happened to be up at 2 a.m. Now, did I go to sleep before that and then wake up around 2 a.m.? Yes, I did. I did, in fact. I did not stay up until 2 to watch it. I actually, I uh, believe me and my wife fell asleep on the couch. And then when I woke up, it was about 2 a.m. We went upstairs to get into our actual bed. And that's when I just pulled it up on my phone and watched a little bit. It was exciting to see Shanghai playing again, because obviously I haven't watched any of their gameplay this season yet, and obviously being the dominant team in this matchup, where they took it 3-0, it was fun to see them back in action. So I don't have any notes on this match, because again, like I say, it was 2 in the morning and I wasn't taking notes, but I do want to quickly run through it. So looks like on Ilios, Shanghai took it 2-1, to one, and that would have been the... Uh, or at least part of the round that I saw, and Shanghai definitely looked dominant. Um, it's not that Hangzhou wasn't doing well, because they definitely were putting up a fight, but Shanghai, you could tell, seemed to be the more focused, seemed to be the more more dominant team. After that, we had Paris again, where Paris, uh, where Shanghai took it 2-1. to one. Moving on to Payload, they had Dorado, where Shanghai took it 3-1. to one. And then final map there would have been Numbani, but at that point, Shanghai had already beaten them 3-0. And that's all she wrote about that match. Second game of Sunday was the Chengdu Hunters against the Gangzhou Charge. And this one looks to be more of a close uh, matchup than Shanghai Hangzhou because it wound up going 3-2 to the Gangzhou Charge. So let's take a look at the breakdown. First round goes to Gangzhou, 2-0 on Busan. Busan is interesting to me because it's one of those maps, um, I know it was a newer map, it's not the newest, but I never feel or felt like I really learned Busan, and I don't know why that is, but uh, anyways, just my personal thoughts on it. Gangzhou takes it 2-0. Moving on to Hanamura, Chengdu actually comes back and takes it 3-2. So I bet that was an exciting round, just because uh, obviously both teams capped both points but then Chengdu managed to cap uh, A a second time and hold off Gangzhou from capping it so at that point it was tied 1-1 we then went to a map 3 on Rialto where the Chengdu Hunters took it 3-0 so at that point Chengdu definitely looking really strong 2-1 um, taking it to match point and it went to Numbani where Gangzhou took it 2-1 so now we are tied up at 2-2 again, and it moved into a fifth round where it went to Ilios. Um, and as was the evening before, Gangzhou took it 2-1, and that made the score 3-2 overall for Gangzhou. So I bet that was an exciting game, um, just because Gangzhou and Chengdu, um, two of the sort of middle-of-the-pack Asian teams that we have yet to see a ton of play out of, however, you know, are starting to get their placements a little more accurate. And right now, looking at the standings, in tied for 11th, actually, we have the Hangzhou Spark and the Gangzhou Charge, both with two wins, two losses, four games played, and a map differential of minus two for both of them. So interesting stuff there. Um, Chengdu is now sitting lower in 16th place with one win, three losses, four games played, um, just above the Dallas Fuel and just below the Florida Mayhem. Moving on, first game of the weekend that I actually managed to catch was the Houston Outlaws versus the Paris Eternal. And it looks like Paris took it 3-1. to one. So here's how things went. Uh, first map we had was Nepal. Um, Houston managed to take it, and honestly, they made it look easy. 
Um, a little bit shocking because obviously Paris right now is the better team of the two, you know, purely standings wise. Um, whereas the Houston Outlaws have been struggling this season. And I mean, this match honestly was, was no, no different. However, like I say, in that first round on Nepal, Houston looked quite good. I wasn't, I wouldn't have been surprised if they had managed to keep that up. They could have definitely taken the, the game. So Houston took control two to zero and they then went on to Paris where both teams actually put up a good fight, um, contrary to those other games that I was mentioning before. Um, and it wound up going the way of Paris with Paris taking it three to two. Um, Houston seemed to have a better initial cap, but after that, when, uh, they went to OT, Houston really couldn't break Paris. Um, it was, it was interesting because both teams had a good attack. Both teams got the two points, obviously, and then it went into OT. And after that, for whatever reason, Houston just couldn't make heads or tails of the OT and they didn't manage to get a point. Paris, on the other hand, did, and it went the way of Paris. Moving on to Dorado, we had Houston pulling up zero points and Paris pulling up two. One thing I noted on this round was that Dante on Houston was actually looking pretty strong on Sombra. Um, we did see a little bit of Sombra play this week, which is fun to see. Um, however, you know, she's a little bit of an outlier on the meta right now, so we don't see it too often. But when you do get a care, uh, player that can play her well, I think uh, it can make a big difference. Um, Paris managed to hold before point one here, or the first point, and they also, even though the, the Sombra play from Dante was looking good, they did manage to counter it the whole time. Um, you know, it really would have been better, I think, if Houston had pulled off the Sombra, but they tried to play with Sombra most of the time. Um, it didn't end up panning out, and obviously Paris took it 2-0. We then went to Hollywood for map 4, and Paris managed to take it 3-1. to Houston, at this point, seemed to really be falling apart. Um, I noticed that you know, as the matches kept on, kept going on and went on longer and longer and everything kind of seemed like Houston just started crumbling, um, which was really too bad after they had such a strong opening. Um, they just kind of got progressively worse. And obviously it all came down to Hollywood where Paris took it three, three to one. So that was the end of that next game of the day was the Philadelphia Fusion versus the Washington Justice. Now, honestly, looking at my notes here, I don't have much of a breakdown on this match because they 3-0'd them. Um, Philadelphia really seemed to be steamrolling Washington. They took Busan, they took Volskaya, um, and then they took Route 66. Um, and the, the thing I wrote here was Carpe is God Torb play. So Carpe was on Torb, and he was out playing Corey on Torb left, right, and center. Um, I know I've talked about before how I love seeing, or I loved seeing Corey play last season. Um, he had some really good widow play, some really good ranged play, and with him playing Torb, although against Toronto it was decent, um, really against Philadelphia it just couldn't compete with Carpe. Um, Carpe was countering his Torb with Torb, and just outplaying him at every turn. So that's all that I wrote for Philadelphia. It was 3-0, so not much of a contest there. Final game of the Sunday, I was about to say of the weekend, which I guess it was final game of the weekend, although we still have two more games after that. But final game of the weekend on Sunday was Dallas Fuel against the Los Angeles Valiant. Dallas, fresh off a loss against the other LA team, and the Valiant, fresh off a loss against San Francisco, even though a team they beat the week before. This was probably an exciting match, probably, in my opinion, match of the weekend. Dallas wound up taking the win 3-2. to two. That was a big deal for Dallas, obviously, because they hadn't won a match this season, and they've had so much time off that this was a huge win for them. Um, and LA Valiant, obviously, coming off of the loss to San Francisco with a win against San Francisco the weekend before. I'm sure they wanted this match under their belt, being against such a seemingly weak team. So really too bad they couldn't take it. But as I mentioned, it went the way of Dallas. So first map was Ilios, and the Los Angeles Valiant actually came out strong um, with 2-0 on Ilios. Now, Dallas had Reaper Tracer, 
whereas the Los Angeles Valiant actually had Reaper Torb. Now I think in this case, it was interesting to see because you have sort of two characters that are really good at the flank um, on Dallas's side, whereas you have Reaper Torb on the Valiant side, where one of those players is, or characters, is a little bit more of a backline kind of sticker, if you will. Um, Torb being, you know, someone who hangs out a little more, hangs back rather than busting through a line or getting around back behind the line. And it obviously, it you know, in this case, it didn't end up paying off for Dallas. However, I wouldn't necessarily have thought that uh, that, that would be the case. I do think that Dallas made some good counter picks there and could have taken it, but obviously they didn't have any success, which in this case didn't matter much because they took the uh, the match overall. So we then went to Volskaya, where I actually thought it was relatively um, even. Um, Dallas wound up taking it 2-1, to one, but really both teams looked strong. Both teams were competing at sort of the same level against each other, and overall it was just a really enjoyable, really close round to watch. From there, we went to Route 66, um, one of my favorite maps, where we saw LA take it 3-0 to Dallas. Um, so here, it definitely, LA looked like they were going to finish things off. Um, obviously, they took the first round on Ilios. They took Route 66 3-0. It looked like it could have easily been a win for Los Angeles Valiant after Route 66. Um, Dallas was not able to put up much of a fight at all, um, similar to, I can't remember who it was, but one of the other teams I mentioned earlier, um, Dallas just couldn't make anything of this map. And LA obviously got all three points, so LA did just fine. Moving on from there, we went to Eichenwald with the Valiant on attack first. Um, they did manage to get a good push, um, but they only pulled up two points, whereas once it came around to Dallas on attack, they managed to push it through um, and they had uh, they took it all the way. They got all three points, um, and especially one one highlight of the week definitely was um, on the final point there. Um, Gamzu actually had an Earth Shatter saved up, and he blasted it into their spawn and knocked down, if not the whole team, just about the whole team, um, which really allowed them to cap that final point. And it was it was just crazy to see how bold that was to walk up to the spawn entrance and just lay that thing into it. From there, we then went to Oasis, um, where we saw Dallas manage to really, you know, pull their bootstrings up and put on their big boy pants, and they took it 2-0. So, you know, it was a bit of a bit of an unexpected turn at the end there, because you know, although Dallas took Eichenwald, if you look at the previous control map in Ilios, um, obviously the Los Angeles Valiant took that map. So I definitely would have thought Control was favoring them at that point, but Dallas showed them, took it 2-0, and that gave Dallas the win with everything ending up 3-2 in favor of Dallas. So big win for Dallas that weekend, um, and honestly, big loss for the Los Angeles Valiant because, uh, I mean, because they had won the day before, so overall the weekend was a big loss for, for the Los Angeles Valiant. That said... Um, there were two more games this weekend. Now, again, I mean, technically not the weekend. They were played on Monday. They were those rescheduled uh, Chinese games. So I'll break them down real quick. I didn't catch either of these, and I haven't looked at any highlights. But on Monday, the first game, the Shanghai Dragons took on the Chengdu Hunters, and they actually took it 3-1. to one. So the first map was Busan, and it went in favor of Shanghai, 2-0. Second map was Volskaya, which went in favor of Chengdu, 3-2. So that would, be, would have been a big map win for Chengdu, uh, managing to put up, put up a uh, good enough defense in the overtime round to keep Shanghai from capping either point. And then uh, obviously them putting up a, a big attack um, or a strong attack on the overtime round and managing to cap that first point. So good for them. Uh, third map was Route 66, where Shanghai took it 2-1. to one. And the final map was Eichenwald, where Shanghai took it 4-3. to three. So again, similar to Volskaya there um, on Eichenwald. Obviously, both teams managed to push it to overtime, or both teams managed to capture all three points, pushing it to overtime. And then seems like Shanghai managed to mount a decent enough attack to take that, uh, to unlock the payload there and take it 4-3. to three. 
And the final match of the weekend was the Gangzhou Charge versus the Hangzhou Spark. And Hangzhou managed to come out on top 3-2. to two. So it looked a little like this. First map was Oasis, where we saw Hangzhou take the round 2-1. to one. Second map was Volskaya, where Gangzhou came up 3-2. to two. So at that point, tied 1-1. One to one. Third map was Rialto, where Gangzhou took it 4-3. to three. So again, on Rialto, both teams managing to cap all three points, and then Gangzhou managing to break through and take the first point in the overtime round. Map 4 went to Eichenwald, where Hangzhou took it 3-2, to two, making it a 2-2 two two tie, and forcing a map 5 on Nepal, where Hangzhou managed to win it 2-1, to one, bringing the total to 3-2 to two for Hangzhou. So very interesting stuff, um, exciting, exciting games that past weekend. Um, and that brings me to a portion of my show that I love doing, uh, where at the end of the weekly recap, I look at the big losers and the big winners of the week. Now, one of the big winners of the week wasn't necessarily one of the big winners. Generally speaking, I usually do this purely based on number of wins. So if a team only played one round uh, this past weekend, then they won't be a big loser. They won't be a big winner. It's only if they played two rounds, however, or two matches, I should say. However, I'm going to put the Dallas Fuel in the big winners category this week because they came out on top in a, uh, honestly, with a win that probably no one really expected. After things went so well for them against San Francisco the week prior and then didn't um, the day prior, I still think everyone or most people would have put their money on the Los Angeles Valiant and considering the fact that Dallas had lost the day before. However, Dallas came up with a big win, so uh, big deal for them. So I'll put them in the big winners category, but really the only other big winner this weekend with two wins was the Shanghai Dragons. So Shanghai, again, looking quite strong. Um, if I check the standings here real quick, where are they? There they are. They have climbed up to number six. They have four games played and three wins, one loss. Um, so they're quickly rising to the top, um, looking like one of the stronger teams. Um, they're actually, I mean, kind of sort of technically tied for fifth with the Atlanta Reign, who also has a record of three and one. Atlanta has a, a positive seven map differential and Shanghai has positive five. So interesting stuff there, but uh, exciting to see Shanghai climbing the ladder. Big losers of the weekend, though, were the Washington Justice, who now finds himself in 18th position. So they are third from the bottom with two wins and six losses. Um, obviously, they lost against Toronto on Saturday. They lost against Philadelphia on Sunday. Um, Philadelphia, definitely a tough, a tough matchup for them. Um, Philadelphia being one of the more dominant teams, sitting in third place with six and one. Um, however, Toronto sitting in what is now 13th with three and four definitely feels like a matchup they would have wanted to win. So too bad for them. Big loser of the weekend. Moving on from there, the other or another big loser of the weekend would have been the Los Angeles Valiant. Um, really too bad coming off a strong weekend prior, obviously. However, they've now dropped to 14th place uh, with a record of two and four. Whereas San Francisco, who beat them on Saturday, has climbed up to 10th, so a record of 2-2. Two and two. And who else did they play? Oh, Dallas being the other team they played, who, although they're in 17th, that was a big win for them. Um, Dallas is only sitting at 1-3 and three right now. Um, however, they get another win, and, you know, they jump up uh, to 15th, 16th place. I guess they only jump one spot. But if they get another win after that, they could potentially be moving uh, just outside of that top 10. So, you know... Like I said, big win for Dallas this weekend. A um, couple of big losses for the Los Angeles Valiant. The other big loser of the weekend, though, was the Chengdu Hunters, who now find themselves in 16th position. They are just above Dallas, um, with actually the same record as as uh, Dallas, however, just a different map differential. Both teams having one win, three losses. So Chengdu really seems to be struggling. Um, Dallas, obviously, that's a big win for them. No teams now have zero uh, uh, wins. Um, however, we are looking at a couple of teams here with only one win and a couple of teams who have only two wins, but a high number of losses. So they're sitting in the bottom. So interesting stuff. 
but that's how the standings look right now. Um, currently, Seoul is in our top position with the Vancouver Titans in our second position and Philadelphia in third with 6-1. and one. Now, the next portion of the show, now that I've covered all of that games, or that this past week's games, um, of which there were many, the next portion of the show I like to call Owl Flying At Ya. And this is where we look at the upcoming week in the Overwatch League for the first time, at least for my first time seeing it. So uh, I won't lie, I did actually take a peek at week 10 just to see if they had posted a schedule for it earlier in the week. And I actually think I saw this on last week's episode. But I am going to switch over to week 10 now and we'll dive into those games. So I do know a bit of spoilers for this weekend, this upcoming weekend. All right. So let's look at how many games we have. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten games this weekend, uh, a similar number to the week prior. Okay, now let's get right into it because Saturday, April 11th at 2 a.m. Mountain Time, because that's where I am, we have the Hangzhou Spark taking on the Chengdu Hunters. Now, again, two of these Asian teams that, uh, you know, haven't played a ton of games but and are playing catch-up but are mostly playing against each other because they're in that Pacific West division or Pacific East, sorry, division where they're they're kind of tied geographically to each other. So Hangzhou sitting at two and two, I believe. Yep, two and two. And Chengdu sitting at one and three. So a fairly even matchup, um, but nonetheless, it'll be exciting to see who comes out on top there. Second match of the weekend um let me just take a quick look here in my humble opinion one of the biggest matches of the weekend just because i'm so excited to see them play again at 4 a.m on saturday 4 a.m my time we see the vancouver titans taking on the gangzhou charge now i'm very excited to see this one gangzhou is currently sitting in 11th with two and two vancouver is currently sitting in second with two and oh um vancouver's only played two games this season they obviously won both of them um, just like, you know, Seoul's only played two games this season. They, they both, they won both of them as well, but nonetheless, Vancouver has been so long since they've played very excited to see which way this one goes. Gangzhou obviously played this past weekend. And although I just covered the, 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 the record they had after this weekend, I don't remember what happened. Uh, looks like they won one, lost one. So they're looking relatively even after this past weekend. But obviously with a game against Vancouver, hopefully they're shaking in their boots and hopefully Vancouver has been, you know, stretching and preparing for this game because I'm so excited to see them play. I might even convince myself to set an alarm for 4 a.m. and get up and watch at least some of that game. After that, at a reasonable time on Sunday, we have the Philadelphia Fusion playing against the Paris Eternal. Now that is actually going to be an exciting matchup because Philadelphia is sitting in third with six and one, whereas Paris is sitting in seventh with five and two. So they don't have a ton separating the two there. They've both played seven games. Um, you know, Philadelphia has won one more and Paris has lost one more. So really exciting. That should actually be a really interesting matchup. However, if I'm up at 4 a.m., I might be napping through that one. After that, we have the Houston Outlaws taking on the Boston Uprising. Looking at the standings, this is a bottom-of-the-barrel match. We have Houston sitting in 19th with 2-6, and six, and Boston sitting in 20th with 1-5. and five. So Houston has two more games played than Boston, but neither of the teams are looking great. And with Boston just having lost their, I believe, off-tank in Mufin, um, as I talked about in the news portion of the show... Um, that'll be kind of an interesting match, I guess, just because it's, you know, in theory going to be relatively even. Um, so yeah, exciting to see that at least. After that, we have the Washington Justice facing off against the Dallas Fuel. So we're moving up only slightly from the bottom of the barrel to just above the bottom of the barrel with Dallas in 17th and Washington in 18th. So again, exciting stuff. Uh, we got some, I don't want to call them bottom feeders, but some bottom feeders fighting against each other there. So that'll be interesting. Then on Sunday at 2 a.m. this time, we have the Chengdu Hunters playing against the Vancouver Titans. As I mentioned, Chengdu seems to be struggling this season, whereas Vancouver has had some good fortune this season. But again, Vancouver a little bit unproven so far, but you know, fingers crossed that the boys have been stretching and are ready to, to take on some, some opponents there and come out on top. After that, the other Asian match we have this weekend on Sunday is the Shanghai Dragons against the Gangzhou Charge. Um, Shanghai, again, looking quite strong in sixth place right now. 
the Gangzhou charge looking, you know, middle of the pack in 11th. So I'm going to put my money on Shanghai, but should be interesting nonetheless. Moving on to a reasonable time on Sunday, we then have Houston playing Toronto, um, which could be an interesting one. Um, I would say, you know, it wouldn't be incredibly surprising to see Houston come out on top. However, you know, if we're talking matches, you know, must win matches, that's a match that Toronto must win because that will, you know, help out their positioning on the board and everything, obviously. So I'll be rooting for Toronto. I know a lot of people will be rooting for Houston because they have a good fan base, but fingers crossed. Moving on from there, another, actually, we got a lot of good matchups this weekend now that I'm looking. Philadelphia at 4 p.m. against the Atlanta Reign. So Philadelphia, as I mentioned, is currently in third place with Atlanta sitting in fifth place. So actually, arguably more interesting even than the third place Philadelphia playing the seventh place Paris is third place Philadelphia playing the fifth place Atlanta. So that'll be an exciting one to see as well um, because we've got two of the sort of, you know, higher up top, top ranking teams playing each other so that'll be exciting to see then the final game of the weekend is another rematch uh in san francisco against the los angeles gladiators so they i believe did manage to beat them uh that is the los angeles gladiators managed to beat san francisco in week eight yep that's right it was three to one the same week that the los angeles valiant beat san francisco so you know, who knows what could happen there. The Gladiators do obviously have a decent history um, with San Francisco. And at the same time, San Francisco, as we all know, is a strong team no matter what. So definitely a bit of a coin toss there. I'd probably lean a little towards San Francisco after they looked, uh, you know, quite a bit stronger this past weekend against Los Angeles Valiant. However, I think Los Angeles Gladiators are actually the stronger of the two LA teams. So who knows what could happen there. But uh, I'd probably put safe money on San Francisco. And that is how this upcoming weekend in Overwatch League looks. It is shaping up to be a good one, um, obviously. Exciting because we have Vancouver playing again, where it's been a few weeks since we saw them, and they're obviously my favorite team. And then also exciting because some of the, uh, honestly, top-tier matches we have and bottom-tier matches we have, um, you know, with Philadelphia, Paris, and Philadelphia, Atlanta, as well as uh, the the those you know bottom teams playing again that I mentioned with Houston, Boston, and Washington, Dallas. So good stuff, and looking forward to seeing that. And with that, that brings my show to a close. That's all I have to talk about this week. Um, hopefully, I will be posting this episode tomorrow so that things can. Uh, get up and at them before the weekend play begins. Um, however, if that's not the case, feel free to, you know, give it a download, like, listen, share, whatever, after it's all happened. And uh, reach out to me on Twitter, Instagram, at SirDrJM. That is Sir D-R-J-M. And, of course, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcast Services. So that was episode 10 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch podcast. Feel free to reach out to me and I'll catch you next week.